scripture is a lengthy story. Um, we'll be reading 1 Samuel chapter 9 through verse 16 of chapter 10. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphiah, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, Take one of the young men with you, and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But the servant said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer. For today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold, he's just ahead of you. Hurry. He has just come now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him, before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go, and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys, they were lost three days ago. Do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite, from the least of the tribes of Israel? 
And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about thirty persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, in which I said to you, Put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, See, what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed, that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose. And both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us, and when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people, Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be a prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, The donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal. And behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When Saul turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place, Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. 
And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please, tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. The word of the Lord. Sometimes I think that my dogs are happier than I am. I watched them in the backyard this afternoon and envied them for a moment at their unique canine capacity to enjoy life. They're never in a bad mood, ever. And one scoop of Purina can send them to an ecstasy that will last quite long. A squirrel sighting can result in hours of bark-filled fun. And one of the reasons I think my dogs are so happy is because they're not created with the same uh, privileges and burdens that we are. And I'm specifically thinking of being made in the image of God. Because one of the things that accompanies being made in the image of God, according to Genesis 1.27, where it says that God created male and female in the image of God, is that we're also then given this responsibility to have dominion over all the earth, uh, to serve and to shepherd and to protect uh, the things that God entrusts to us, the things that God gives us responsibility for. And my dogs just don't worry about that. They never wake up asking whether or not their life has significance. They never wake up wondering if other dogs respect them. They never ask one another if they're having an impact. They never want to know if they are fulfilling their potential or living up to their expectations or are we disappointing people. They just don't care. But we do. Because we are created in the image of God. Richard Rohr says in his wonderful book, uh, Falling Upward, A Spirituality for the Two Halves of Life, He says that one of the things that we figure out in the first half of life, and if you don't figure it out, you'll keep working on it in the second half of life, is how we're going to make a difference, how we're going to make our mark, how we're going to be significant. He says there's much evidence on several levels that there are at least two major tasks to human life. The first task is to establish an identity, a home, relationships, friends, community, security, and building a proper platform for our life. The task of the first half of life is to answer the essential questions. What makes me significant? How can I support myself? Who will go with me? Life doesn't always cooperate with that, of course. As we head out into the world to make our mark, we we find that uh, we are not as affirmed as much as we wanted. We're not as respected as much as we wanted. Uh, That the work that we have is not often perfectly suited to us that the world does not appreciate us as much as we would like to be appreciated, uh, that the things that we desperately want 
The people that we desperately want to be with, the families we desperately want to raise, uh, either don't uh, materialize in the way that we'd hoped for, or when we do get them, they don't do what we think they should have done. And so that creates a crisis. As the gap between what I want and where I am grows ever wider, as the gap between my desires and my reality continues to form into a chasm, I can become discouraged and lose hope. Or it also can become an opportunity for significant growth. Which raises a question that I'd like to to pose you as we open up and and look at this uh, beautiful story tonight. We're all given, I believe, because we're made in the image of God, this desire to have dominion, this desire to have influence, this desire to have impact. And it is only natural that we have a desire to expand that influence, to expand our capacity to serve and to bless. Those are natural desires. Ambition is normal. Wanting things is normal. Longing is normal. These are all part of what it means to be made in the image of God. But what is my role in getting it? How much should I maneuver things so that I get what I want? In other words, how responsible am I for expanding my own dominion? Well, I think we'll find some answers to these questions as we look at Saul's rise to power tonight. God preserves these stories for us in Holy Scripture for a couple of reasons. He wants us to know our history. He wants us to know where we've come from. But I think he also preserves these stories, as strange and odd as they are, because he, he wants to reveal things about his character and his ways of dealing with his people that are timeless. And I know there's a lot of odd things in, in, the, in the Bible. There's a lot of cultural quirky things in the Old Testament. But beneath those, why are those stories there? Because they reveal timeless principles about how God relates to his people. And I want to study one of those principles tonight as we look at this story. Last week, we, we saw that Saul is about to come to power in a time of tremendous chaos and transition. Uh, God tells Samuel to go ahead and find the people a king, and that's exactly what he does. After the 2008 election, there was a fascinating book called Game Change, and it was written by two reporters in kind of a novel form, and it, it chronicled how Obama came to power and all the maneuvering and the infighting and the, and the politicking, and it really, I, I could hardly put it down. This is the Bible's version of Game Change, Uh, for the first king of Israel. And it starts off in a very different way. It starts off uh, not in a a powerful room with powerful people in powerful suits, but it starts off with a lost donkey. And the text says ask, but if I go there, I'll just (laughs) break into giggles and it just won't work. So I'm going to... I tried it earlier. We're going to go with donkey. Okay, so the narrator says that... Our hero, our tragic hero, comes from a wealthy family. He's from this little tribe, Benjamin. We learn that he's tall and handsome. We don't learn anything else about him. And then we read this mundane sentence. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, take one of the young men with you and arise and go look for the donkeys. And so Saul's journey towards becoming 
the greatest leader in the history of Israel up to that point begins with his dad saying, son, we lost the donkeys. Go get them. And he does. Goes on a three-day journey. They can't find them. Saul gets worried. He says to the servant, I think we should go home. And the, and the servant says, well, well, there's this man of God in the neighborhood, this prophet, and maybe if we go talk to him, and he'll let us know where the donkeys are. And so the two travelers go to the city. There's some girls at the well. They say that they're in luck, that the great prophet is in town. And remember, at this point, uh, the, the temple in Jerusalem has not been established yet, so worship takes place on these mountains um, that are all scattered all over Israel. And uh, this was before that became idolatry. This was not a bad thing to worship in a high place at this point in Israel's history. And one of the things that would happen would be that the great prophets would come by and offer a, a liturgical service for the people of Israel. And that is what's happening here. And so the first kind of act in this scene, or the, the first scene ends with this verse 14. So they went up to the city And as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on a way to the high place. Now, one of the things the narrator wants us to see here is that even though Saul thinks he's looking for a donkey, God is at work behind the scenes preparing Saul to be king. Saul has no idea what's going on. All he's trying to do is be faithful. But God knows that at the end of the donkey hunt is a crown. And one of the principles, and I'd say the big idea from this whole story that the narrator wants us to get, is that God is sovereign over establishing your dominion. God is sovereign over raising up kings and taking them back down. God is sovereign over the sphere of of which you have influence. God sets the scope of our dominion. He ultimately determines whether you will be single or whether you will marry or whether you will have children. God ultimately determines whether or not you'll get tenure or even get your PhD. God ultimately determines whether or not your paintings sell. God ultimately determines whether or not you're promoted at work. First Chronicles 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty All that are in the heavens and the earth are yours. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great. God establishes your dominion. He's sovereign. Now, Saul is not passive in this. Uh, He is faithful. He has a dominion at the beginning of the story. It's not over all of Israel. It's over a couple of donkeys. And when the father says, go fetch him, he goes and fetches them. He is faithful. And I think there's a principle in that. That as we're trying to discern God's role in our life, and particularly if, if we're, we're, we're kind of have this blessed curse of being a dreamer and a visionary, and we have a sense that there's something special that God wants to do with our life, and we have dreams and visions, the very first thing that you need to do is to be faithful in the dominion that you have right now. To go after the donkey. I knew a, a young man many years ago who was brilliant, very, very gifted, and he just had this sense that he was created for greatness, and I believe he probably was. 
but he was also lazy and arrogant. He uh, didn't take care of his body. He didn't do his schoolwork. He didn't show up on time for work. And last time I saw him, his life was unraveling. Because he was so convinced about this great vision for his life. And by the way, I, th- I think sometimes our, our generation of parents didn't help uh, younger folks because we were so affirming <laughs> and so positive. And we told you that, that, honey, you can do whatever you put your mind to. Honey, that's a lie. You can't do whatever you put your mind to. You really can't. So being faithful in the little things, the little things, the boring things, is how we identify and connect with God's sovereignty and establishing our dominion. Before we move on, I just want to talk for a moment about our idolatry of bigger things. Because one of the ways an American would tend to read this story would be something like this. If you're faithful in the little things, if right now you listen to your dad and go get the donkey, one day you'll be king. Now that'd be a good sermon, wouldn't it? Be faithful now and one day you'll be king. That's not what the story is about. We only need one king. We don't all become king. And Americans are so enraptured by growth and more and more and more. We're never satisfied. Nothing is ever enough. We think this is God's way. And we've even developed a theology to support this idea that what God wants is that you always have more and bigger and better. It came out in about 2001. This this little book called The Prayer of Jabez came out and sold 9 million copies. And it's based on this obscure prayer in the Old Testament. And, 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 and it, it, it's all about asking God to expand your borders, to expand your, your influence. And Christian publishers knew that this would connect with Americans because we always want to do more and bigger and better. And so before you knew it, uh, you had uh, the, the Prayer of Jabez Leather Edition, the Prayer of Jabez Journal, the Prayer of Jabez Devotional, the Prayer of Jabez Bible Study, the Prayer of Jabez for Teens, the Prayer of Jabez Gift Edition, the Prayer of Jabez for Kids, the Prayer of Jabez for Little Ones, and, and Jabez a Novel. Why? And they sold it in packets of ten. Because Americans love a theology of bigger. That if I take my donkey now, I'll be king. The Bible never says that. Bible never promises you that. One reviewer wrote, In the final analysis, the prayer of Jabez offers people what they want to hear and avoids what many need to confront. It joins a growing list of bestsellers in the religious book publishing industry. Almost all belong to the inspirational, devotional, or breakthrough, unlock your potential genre. Prayer of Jabez, as the subtitle indicates, Breaking Through to the Blessed Life, belongs to the last and endorses a view of Christian living that can accurately be called Christian magic. For now at least, I won't be praying Jabez along with my many evangelical brothers and sisters. I'm just not sure I'm at all ready to have my territory enlarged. Now that's a wise man. The prayer ought to be, Lord, help me be faithful with what I've got. 
And the reviewer points to Matthew 25 as a better place to start. And that's where the Lord teaches us in a parable that we all are given different talents. We don't have control over it. And the important thing is to be faithful to them. Now, now, now I know there's always two sides to the coin. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes God expands our borders. Sometimes God will make you a king. Sometimes God will promote you. Sometimes God will enlarge your responsibilities. It's not a bad thing to desire. It's not a bad thing to have ambition. It's not a bad thing to dream. It's not a bad thing to hope. But when you start to demand that that hope be fulfilled, you get into trouble. That's an important distinction. Turn towards your dreams. Turn towards your passions. Turn towards the things. Move towards where there's energy in your life. But the moment you find yourself manipulating and maneuvering and selling your soul to get there, you've crossed the line, the very line Saul crosses, and ultimately loses the kingdom. Well, while Saul is roaming through the hills of Jerusalem looking for his donkey, God has already revealed that uh, to Samuel that Saul is coming. And they, they go and eat. And then we, we, we hear this cryptic verse in verse 20. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't set your mind in them. They've already been found. There may be a little principle there is that as you move towards God's calling on your life, and as he, as he begins to invite you into the next thing, one of the things that will happen is that the things from the past will be taken care of. He'll raise up uh, some resources to care for the things when he's changing your dominion in the past. Well, then he goes on and he says, And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? And essentially he's saying, in what's kind of cryptic language, very difficult Hebrew, he, he is saying, you're about to become king of Israel. And then a few verses later, uh, he's blessed at the meal, he sleeps on the rooftop, and then on the following morning we read, Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And again, I suspect the narrator is, is making a point. The point is, God is sovereign over your career. God is sovereign over your dominion. God led Saul to Samuel, and then God anointed Saul through Samuel. Everything about this story is about the sovereign God overseeing Saul's rise to power. As Job says in chapter 12, God makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he takes them away. Well, then we come back to this question. And again, I think as Americans, we struggle with this sometimes. And the question goes something like this. Wait, wait, wait. I thought if I worked hard enough and I did all the right things, that God would bless me. That God would fulfill my wildest dreams. Isn't that the covenant? Isn't that the contract? If I work hard, God will give me what I want. No. That's not the promise. That is not the promise. Walter Brueggemann, in a, in a wonderful little book on the psalm, says that there's three different kinds of psalms. 
And, and this, if, if you struggle reading the Psalms sometimes, this little book will help you get a handle on it. And he says there are three different kinds. One kind is what he calls Psalms of Orientation. And those are the Psalms where all is well for the writer, and he is in love with the Lord and in love with life, and he can't help but just explode in praise to God. And th- those are the Psalms we like. And then he says there's Psalms of Disorientation. And those are, those are those troubling complaint psalms where the writer is saying, Hey, I did everything right. Where's the blessing? Why are the bad guys winning? Lord, I did it all right. And then the third type of psalm is the psalm of new orientation. And these are the psalms where the, where the writer breaks through from disorientation back into a place of faith, even amidst suffering. And Brueggemann says that the church doesn't like the psalms of disorientation and that you don't hear sermons on them. He says it's a curious fact that the church has by and large continued to sing songs of orientation in a world increasingly experienced as disoriented. <laughs> And I think this is part of the move from the first half to the second half of life. I think this is part of how we move towards spiritual maturity, is that you finally realize that the deal isn't work hard, say your prayers, and God will give you everything you want. That is not the deal. And when you are faithful and sexually pure and devoted and you're still single at 30 and it drives you nuts... And young ladies that did it all wrong are blessed with a great husband. And when you go to graduate school and get the job and work hard and work weekends and at the end of the day you get fired because the company gets bought out. And when you eat paleo (laughs) and forego all the pleasures of life And count calories. And find out that you're dying anyway. Do you move from orientation to disorientation in your worship? See, this story is not promising that if you're faithful, you become king. The story is saying God is sovereign. Be faithful and trust Him. And be be satisfied whether your dominion is big or little. Well, after the anointing, Samuel prophesies that Saul will see three signs as a way of validating his anointing. First sign, you're going to meet a couple of guys, and they'll take care of the donkeys. That happens. Second sign, you're going to meet a couple more guys. They're going to give you food. That happens. And then the third sign, we pick up down in verse 5 of chapter 10, 
when all, uh, you'll meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a harp, tambourine, flute, and, and lyre before them prophesying. And then the Spirit of the Lord will rush on you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And, and you can just imagine all the people that were excited about Saul becoming king. All the people that thought, you know, finally there's all this chaos and, and we need a manager, Lord. We need someone who will run this kingdom with dignity. We need someone who will raise an army, who will raise taxes, who will take care of us, who will get this ship in order. What's the first thing God does to the new candidate who's supposed to get the ship in order? He pours out the Holy Spirit on the guy, and the guy starts dancing with prophets. And can you imagine the political blogs in Israel at this time? Who have we elected here? He has an Old Testament kind of Pentecost, and the Spirit falls on him, and his friends say, Is this the son of Kish? Now again, I think one of the reasons for this story is to show that not only does God prepare Saul for leadership, not only does God anoint Saul for leadership, God equips Saul for leadership by pouring out the Spirit on him and giving him a new heart. It's sort of a preview of of the new covenant. Everything in this story is about God sovereignly moving Saul to the place where he wants him. Daniel 2, God changes times and seasons. He removes kings, he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. That is the principle of this story. God is sovereign. He's sovereign over your career. He's sovereign over your love life. He's sovereign over your kids. He's sovereign over your mortality. God is sovereign. But again, Saul has a a role to play. He receives the gifts of the Spirit that, that, that come upon him. He prophesies. He dances. And I think that's part of our part as well. I think we get get so consumed with the big thing. What I want to do next with my life. Help me figure it out. I'm not sure. I'm so confused. I I need to know. That we forget that the, the way God leads us into our dominion is usually not through an epic vision, but through little teeny assignments where you have to surrender to the Spirit in your life and go get the donkey and make the phone call and break up with a boyfriend and have the talk with your adult son and sit down and plan with your aging mother. We're so enamored with all the big questions. Rarely in Scripture, a couple times, but rarely in Scripture do we see God's normative way is to reveal an epic vision in splendid detail that you just march to like a little GPS the rest of your life. Saul had no idea where this thing was going when when he left the house that day. Why would you expect to know where you're going? God is sovereign over your dominion. Your part is to be faithful, to be patient, and to dance. Let's pray.